This is episode number 75 of Storytelling with Seth, and I am your host, Seth Singleton. I am grateful that I had the opportunity to sit down and record this conversation with Brendan about Master Talk. It's a great program that he has created between a channel and social media platforms that offer insights on how to master public speaking. His experience on over 500 cases during his time at university and now during his corporate life teaching others how to improve their public speaking. He sits down with us now to share all of his insights and provide us with a way to improve our public speaking. I know for myself, it was never my strength in high school and something I had to continually work at until I could improve. Thankfully, for those of you looking to improve, Brendan has all of the wisdom you need to start you on your journey in this podcast and all the great information at the end to tell you how to continue that journey with him. Thank you for joining me and for us. This is a great conversation with Brendan and Master Your Talk. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and today I'm with Brendan of Master Your Talk. We have an opportunity to do a lot when we're conveying our, what our message is to each other, to a larger audience. Brendan, you've developed this into a technique and you're kind enough to share it with others. Tell me how you got started on this process because what I love is an idea, but I love the story that turns an idea into something more. So welcome and please tell us the story of how you got to master your talk. Of course, Seth. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. So yeah, when I, when I started in, in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing college football and eating chicken wings and playing sports, I was eating the same junk food as them. But let's just say that I wasn't a big fan of sports, as you probably tell from my physical composure uh, before we got on this call. Not very I've learned strong. to never underestimate, my friend. Never underestimate. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you have uh, unbound potential that you're still unlocking, and we're just witnessing it. That's powerful, man. I appreciate that, Seth. Uh, but yeah, exactly. And so what I did instead of watching football games is I was watching presentations. So other people present, how would they present? And I did that competitively. Think of it like the business Olympic games or something. Well, anyways, in three years, I presented over 500 times, coached over 70 people on how to speak properly. And I also competed in many of these competitions myself. So after I graduated, I just developed a gift for communication at a very young age. And as I was starting to work in, in consulting, I kind of asked myself, how can I better use my talents and expertise to serve the world? And that's when the idea for the YouTube channel Master Talk came to be. Just because I realized that a lot of the content on public seeing communication was horrendous online. So I wanted to make a difference there. That's a pretty noble goal to better yourself and the world. Can you think of any early influences that, that set you on this track that no matter what happened when you graduated university, that this would be an aspiration of yours, that whatever skills you had found, developed, honed, and crafted would be something that you would be trying to improve the world with. A lot of folks might say more like, get a good job, land a house, find a partner. Uh, tell me more about that aspiration, if you can uh, link me to any route there. 
Of course, happy to share. So there's a couple of things. I think the first thing was for for my family in particular, generosity and adding value to people was not something that was optional. It was a part of being a human being, right? It was a part of being a a person who was living in society with other people, right? So when I was a kid and I found a $10 bill on the floor, and this is back when I really didn't have any money and my parents were minimum wage workers. I remember I was so excited because I'd like never seen a $10 bill on a floor before. I was like, I was freaking out. So then I tell my mom, because I was a bit guilty, I didn't want to keep it a secret. And the first thing that she asked me was, is this somebody else's $10 bill? Are you sure it wasn't somebody else around you? And I wasn't lying. There was nobody else around there. So it's just somebody dropped it in there. You know, I picked it up. But then she looked at me and she said, you know, Brendan, this $10 bill reminds me of a $20 bill that I found on the floor 25 years ago. She was walking on the street one day and a, and a couple of women who were, who were, um, who were walking in front of her were, were walking on this, this path. And she kept saying that, you know, these taller women, they, they never look on the floor like I do because she's a bit shorter of a woman. So they stepped over a $20 bill as they were walking. And my mom found it on the floor, but it wasn't there. So she picks it up. And then she looks at me and she says, oh, yeah, now you just used the money to, to buy food for my friend's family because they couldn't afford it that day. But she said it so nonchalantly. Like she was getting <laughs> groceries at a store. Like she, like, she, like she went to get milk or something. And I just looked at it. And I was just dumbfounded. And I never forgot that story. So I think one part of that is definitely the giving and the, the adding value to others. And the other thing is you, you're talking a lot about the, the job and the house and the partner. I did all of those things. Okay, maybe not the house and the partner, but definitely like just thr- surviving. You know, I wasn't thinking about starting a YouTube channel or making a difference in the world. It, it was okay. more just, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, you know, let me get a job. And then after I got the job, I started asking those questions. And through that discovery, after 500 competitions and 70 coaching uh, students and the lessons that came out of each one of those student teacher experiences, what is it that you found that you could take and turn into uh, master your talk and the idea behind the YouTube channel that can help convey your message? Right. So, so one of the things that, so just to give people an idea of how this, how intense this program was, when I say it's the, the business Olympics, I'm not kidding. Right. So in the same way that when you, when you try and get drafted into an NFL team, or a sports team or a professional dance team, you practice a lot. The coach is yelling at you. It's pretty intense. You're pretty much working out every day. You're, you're putting in the drills. You're putting in the work. So we did the same thing with presentations. So senior executives of companies, instead of having dinners with their families, would come and coach us on presentations. But they wouldn't say, hey, Brendan, Seth, hey, great job with this. Keep it up. You're going to be great. No, they said, you call this a presentation? It's 8 p.m. at night. I should be like with my family and I'm seeing this. Like, this is terrible. Do it again. Right? Like, it's really bad. Right? Like, they're really intense with you. So I learned really fast. So when it was my turn to coach the next generation, because that's how the loop started. A lot of the senior executives, because like, why would they take their time to coach us? We're alumni of the program. Right? So that's why they come. So when I, it was my turn to coach them. And I was the speaking guy because that's what I was good at. I wasn't good at much else in case competition. I sort of asked myself, how can I explain what I know that I don't understand how I learned because I was self-taught in a way that they can understand it? So that's why I started getting to silences. Um, and I started creating mini courses where, that I would teach them. And slowly over time, that became the content for Master Talk that I still develop to this day. 
And is there any chance you could maybe reveal a little bit behind uh, some of those key concepts that have become the foundation for uh, Master Your Talk? Of course, I'm happy to. So, so the first thing that we can start the, 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 the conversation with is understanding where the fear of public speaking comes from. So for some reason, Seth, you know, we're all scared of it, but we don't really understand why, whether you're from Japan, Canada, the States, Europe, or really any country. So let's break that down for a second and understand where it comes from. The question we need to ask ourselves is where does the fear, like where does it originate from? Where do we give most of our presentations? And the answer is, school right because we don't wake up one morning and say hey seth you want to like get breakfast and present all day that doesn't happen we're in school we're sitting there and three things happen one we never get to pick the topic and it's generally something we're not passionate about two students don't care not because they don't care about us because they like us we're good people but they're worried about their own presentation they got to present in 10 minutes they're in their own head they're not paying attention to you and three, teachers are extremely stressed. They're very competent, super smart. But if they're going through 40 presentations in two classes, they can't sit you down and say, hey, Seth, you want to spend 10 minutes going over your presentation? But the issue here is this behavior gets perpetuated in everything. Sciences, math, English, French, languages, gym, music, over and over again, we're taught to believe that storytelling and public speaking is a chore. It's a responsibility. It's something that we need to do, not something we want to do, rather than what public speaking is actually meant for, which is having this very conversation, sharing an idea that matters, making a difference for people. So this brings us to the remedy now. How do you fix this? And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. The way that you fix this is what I call the repeatable presentation. So let's say we want to learn a new skill set. I don't know, like a piano. We have two options. We can either play 50 different songs and figure it out, or we can play one song 50 times and show off to our friends how much we know piano, even if we just know one song. But that one song gives us confidence that nothing else can do for us in a way that allows us to say, hey, I want to play more songs. I can do this. But, and that's an analogy we apply for any skill, whether it's baking or professional dancing or break dancing or anything. But we don't do that with public speaking. It's Wednesday. Our boss or client or teacher says, Seth, I need a presentation for Friday. Then you're like, looks like I'm not talking to my family for two days. You get some slides together. You present the slides, and then what do you do? You crumble up all of the slides, you put them in the trash can, and then you work on the next one. Whereas the best speakers in the world, like Seth Godin, right, or Gary Vaynerchuk, or Tony Robbins, or Mel Robbins, what do they do? They present the same thing hundreds of times, and that's what more people need to do more of. You remind me right now of that great quote from Bruce Lee. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. About of course, the man. Thousand Kicks, yeah. <laughs> That, that's a powerful idea that you're, you know, representing here, this idea of, look, if it worked for a master of the martial arts, unparalleled, how does this not apply to every other aspect of every other approach that you're taking? And man, when it came to public speaking, I was not good at all. I have very vivid memories of either my, I think it's my sophomore year in high school, like standing there with the paper shaking in one hand and then grabbing it with the other hand to sort of pull it taut and like you know and there was this feeling that I didn't understand what it meant 
to talk to other people and be passionate about my ideas and yet understand also how to express them, how to use that passion as any sort of an opportunity and sort of just feeling myself sitting there going, I could explode in 10,000 ways instead of just one direct way that I'd practiced. What a difference that might have made. And I think your uh, representation of the classroom is spot on. I think there's a, a full understanding that none of the elements surrounding that presentation you'll eventually be making are perfect. And neither will be the situations you face later on as well. Um, and yet, if you can have a calm, collected presentation experience early on, then you'll be more balanced and prepared for whatever the situation is that you're facing later. So, so much of that really, I think, is important because, as you said, looking at the people who do this extremely well, who have developed reputations for their ability to speak to others, they do it over and over again. And now through your experience, I mean, as you said, 500 uh, participations, 70 students, and that very rigorous training that you took on. <laughs> it was uh, quite a molding experience. Uh, what has your experience been since you launched the channel? And also, uh, you have a, you know, an Instagram account that also, you know, represents some of your material as well. What has that experience been like since you uh, made that leap? Yeah, definitely. So, so when I started Master Talk, I I didn't think much of it to be honest. You know, it was a couple of months before I started working at my corporate job. That was literally my dream, and still is. I, I pinched myself every day. But I think the idea is, I just did that as a pastime. A lot of students in my coaching programs back in university, that were in the program, just said, "How did you learn how to speak? How did you learn how to speak?" So it just spiked a curiosity. I was wondering what was out there. And once I spent a couple of hours watching what my competitors were doing, I said I could do better alone in my basement with the phone with no lighting. So I just did that for fun. You know, I started making videos and I sucked. You know, I was terrible. And it was a huge hit to my ego too, because this is coming from a guy who was presented a lot. So when I was on camera, I was shocked at how bad I was. I was like, oh God, this is not good. What happened? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of things, but I'd say the big thing was the challenge with being on camera, Seth, is if there's nobody around you. So I'm very used to pulling energy from my audience. I see the reactions. I see Seth laughing. I see him being having a good time. I see him learning something, you know, so it gives me a lot of energy or the conversations we have before I even present. Like, what are you here? What are you trying to learn? So all of that gives me energy, brings me joy. But when you're in, on camera, you have nobody to talk to. You're just alone and it's lonely and you still have to give the same energy, the same enthusiasm, the same bravado, right? Maybe bravado is the wrong word, but like the same uh, light that you would if you were talking to them directly. And that was a huge challenge for me. And that's why my first year on YouTube was honestly such a pain, if I'm being honest, because I was, I was alone. It was depressing, frankly, and I didn't even know I was making the videos because I had like 10 subscribers. But what made the difference for me was a couple of things. The biggest one was some people said they, they were actually watching my crappy videos. They said, hey, Brendan, this is actually not bad. You should keep going. I was like, really? <laughs> and I was surprised. But over time... Uh, after I saved up money at work, I hired my best friend to be my uh, my video editor and uh, director. 
So now he does all my production. So now I'm a lot more happier doing the videos. And, you know, it's the, the point I want to drive here is you always want to start, and I got this from Jay Shetty, you always want to start with the mini version first of your grander plan. So the mini version for me was struggling alone in my basement with the phone, not knowing if this is a good idea, had a lot of insecurity of who, who am I to teach public speaking to the world with MasterDoc. But then over time, it was like, well, if I don't do it, what other 22-year-old kid is going to influence the next 16-year-old, the next generation of leaders? And when the answer only became me, well, I needed to make a difference and do it anyways. That's quite a discovery, you realizing that you've had all this experience that you now want to uh, transition onto camera and then not having the same degree of success, sort of having to relearn how to do what you were doing or... Uh, <laughs> Unlearn what you have learned, which is probably my favorite little Yoda reference. The idea then is that um, you're learning how to talk to the camera. And I'm reminded, I think it was Laurence Olivier who once was talking about Marilyn Monroe. And he said, out of all the actors I've met, this is the only one who has learned how to not act in front of the camera, how to be very present and sort of know that there's someone there on the other side of that glass and, and how to create that feeling because it seemed like every time she looked at the camera, you, she was looking right at you. And he was like, this is something the rest of us haven't learned yet. She's a natural at it. I love the idea that so much of what came for you was self-taught. Do you remember sort of the earliest discoveries of that self-teaching experience? Because you've described a very positive early beginning and along the way, I'm curious when it was that you started to address this ability like, hey, this is something that I want to start teaching myself to do, especially so you can get to a point that you're competing in these you know, competitions out here. I think in, in my school, it was more often it was referred to as like debate team or uh, there was often a public speaking program or class or group. But there was a point where you started making a... a a journey along the way where you were like, hey, this is something I, I want to develop and where it brought you to at school. How did you develop that self-teaching? Where did it come from or start? Yeah, I would say it's definitely the community of excellence that I was around in case competition. So to give people an idea, because this is very different from debate club, though there are some similarities, Okay, is the following situation. So let's say a business gives you a problem. I don't know, McDonald's comes up to us and says, you know, Seth, you know, a lot of these health conscious yogis don't want to eat salads anymore. I want to eat salads and they don't want to have burgers. So how do we get them back into McDonald's, right? So that's what we call a business problem that the CEO wants to figure out. So is there a way for us to introduce healthier options, things like that? So what we need to do as a case competition team is we need to do the following in three hours and not a second more. We have to read a 20 page case, which is a 20 page document. We have to figure out a solution, make PowerPoint slides, figure out a financial statement to back up our numbers, do risks and mitigations, figure out an analysis and what types of opportunities await the business and our go to market strategy. We have to do all of that in three hours. So you can imagine how, how intense that was. And at the end of the three hours, there's no practice time. You have to present your solution right away to the executives. And if you speak, at, this is actually, actually at the competition, if you speak for one second after your three hours are up, you get automatically disqualified and you go to zero. So it was a very high intense environment. So for me, where a lot of my learning came from 
was the other amazing people in the program. So 400 people apply for this thing every year because all of the best jobs out of, out of university in business school go to the people in those programs. So think companies like McKinsey, IBM, Boston Consulting Group, Pricewaterhouse, Deloitte, all of those best companies, they sponsor a lot of these competitions to hire the, bre- the best and brightest from each of the schools. And that's why the schools invest a lot of money into this. So 80 people get into the program, but there's 8,000 people in the faculty. So this is the top 1% of any given year. So because of that, whenever I presented, it wasn't like in our classrooms where the teacher goes, oh, you know, Brendan, it's such a good job. It wasn't just the coaches saying that you sucked. It was the other students because you were always comparing yourself to other students. It's a poor analogy, but I think it will help. It's like being on an Olympic team you know, you're, you're, you're just with people who are just super amazing. So if you make the smallest mistake, they'll catch you, right? So in the same way, let's say you would give, uh, not maybe you, but somebody you would give feedback on a presentation and say, oh, you know, good job, but I'm not really sure what you could improve on. Whenever somebody would go through me, it would be like, you call this a presentation. Like, let's go through the 17 things you did wrong in these five minutes you presented, right? So it's, it's a different uh, standard of excellence. A, a good analogy I can give people, for people who haven't seen the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, I think that's a great example. And people are very competitive, just understand the guy in the sense of, even if, you know, he has a billion dollars, had all the success, if you ask him his only regret in life, it was not going after seven championships. He just has that craziness, like no, nothing's ever an end. And I think that standard of excellence really helped me develop my own communication skills really rapidly. I would imagine so. I know what you're talking about uh, when it comes to Michael Jordan and the, uh, the more recent, you know, uh, last dance that they've been showing has represented. Um, and I mean, unapologetic but also uncomfortable visions and experiences where he is not a nice guy on that court he is not there to be friendly he is not there he is driving and if he feels like you're given 75 percent during practice if you're giving 96 and he knows you have another four percent he's going to lay into you he will give you all the grief in the world until he sees you lift that up because that's what he's asking of himself and if you're going to be on the court with him trying to do what he wants to do. Why are you not giving the same amount? How are you not pushing? Um, in my own personal, I remember uh, going through my uh, MFA program and you never put a story up or a project up for workshop without getting some sort of criticism. You were always doing something wrong. You could have <laughs> you know, uh, totally 15 voices and each one had a different thing that you weren't doing right. And others might say, well, I loved it. And they would go, well, you need to look at it again. And it was just this really contentious feeling of one, you were always critiqued. Two, there was always a way you were being told you could improve. And three, no one could agree on what that was. <laughs> they all had a different <laughs> reason. They wanted you to fix what you were doing. And it was important to keep in mind that your job at some point was to sift through all that and recognize how much of it you could take seriously, how much of it, you know, was applicable and then what you could do about what was left, what you actually wanted to do something about and how you could control that. You're giving people a great opportunity to take control of their ability to speak, their ability to convey a message. And right now, especially in the environment we're in, I think there's a a very uh, pronounced and even unpronounced desire on the part of people to hear important messages, but also find ways to convey their own message. 
I, I love the fact that you're providing this outlet and I really am thankful for how much time you've given me today. With just what I know is a few minutes left, are there some parting words, some things that we should know and please at the end, don't hesitate to include ways that people can reach out to you on social media and others. And now we're gonna take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. To follow up on these uh, final thoughts and statements, Brent. Yeah, absolutely, Seth. I really appreciate it. So, so I think what I would say to leave people with is my favorite quote of all time, which is be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. You know, get the job like I went after, get the house that everyone wants. And, and that's all great. But if you're listening to a podcast, especially this one, you probably want to do something different with your life. You probably want to do something more interesting and more impactful. So my words of wisdom is to be a bit more insane. Do the thing people aren't willing to do. Start to question what everything is, why everyone is doing the things that they're doing. And I can give you some examples to help you think of through this. Why is everyone, why is everyone saving up for retirement at 65 if Steve Jobs died at 56? If Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, died at 65? If Kobe Bryant died at 41? How does that make any sense? Right? Or just simply, why are we getting married? White picket fence? All of these things. And once you start to question all of these decisions, then you'll start to craft a unique vision for your own life. So if you use me as an example, don't you all find it bizarre that a 22-year-old kid has presented 500 times, has done all these competitions, and he started a YouTube channel, not on vlogging, not on comedy, but on public speaking communication tips, then started coaching CEOs when he was 23. But at the same time, he's having this very conversation with Seth in his mother's basement, sitting on a mattress, making six figures of income, but doesn't own a car and isn't planning to move out of his mother's house until he's 31. How do any of those decisions make any sense by society's conventions? Well, they make sense to us. They make sense to our own truth. So I encourage you all to ask yourself those hard questions and figure out what works for you. And if you have any questions or insults or comments, feel free to send me a message directly on Instagram. I'm at Master Your Talk. If you want to check out my YouTube videos, that would be Master Talk in one word. Perfect. Brendan, um, I, I think you've made a proud and bold statement for insanity. And I think that the elements that you have introduced clearly are ones that I myself am going to want to follow up on. But anyone else who is intrigued as I am is going to follow those channels and look forward to hearing more about what I can only imagine will soon be a saga of what is it like when you make those decisions and choose the priorities that you've described. It sounds like a fantastic journey. And again, great statement for insanity. Thanks for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Seth. It was great. Pleasure. And with that, folks, thank you so much for joining us. And that brings episode number 75 to a close. Thank you for joining me here on Storytelling with Seth. Thank you for joining our conversation with Brendan and Master Talk. I really loved his insights. I hope that I can continue to apply them in any public speaking opportunities I have, and maybe you might even see some improvement with my speech and delivery here on Storytelling with Seth. If you want to let me know how I'm doing, how I'm improving, or anything else that's on your mind, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can choose your favorite social media platform, whether it's Twitter, and one more singleton. Instagram and Seth the Writer. You can check out my dogs, Bruno and Fiji, on their very own Instagram page. 
or you can reach out to me simply by typing in Seth Singleton Storyteller or Storytelling with Seth into a search engine. Wherever you find yourself landing, send me a message. Let me know what you're thinking. And let me know, more importantly, if you know about a story that you think deserves to be on Storytelling with Seth and that I need to hear about. I can't wait to share my next story with you. Until next time.